From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. We've arrived at the time of year where softball becomes a ubiquitous presence on TV, and in turn, the Gators take one of the prime seats at the table. Tim Walton's team claimed the number two national seed in the NCAA tournament that gets underway this weekend, and we'll lead off today's show by chatting with the head coach about the highs and lows of their season and the challenges to come. Also, our weekly roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry covers a dizzying range of other recent success stories, including baseball's SEC title, lacrosse getting over the NCAA hump, men's tennis making waves, men's golf setting an NCAA regional record, basketball finding a new assistant coach, and Mick Hubert's upcoming induction into the Florida Sports Hall of Fame. But first, while softball has enjoyed the kind of overall postseason success that most programs can only dream of, in recent years the SEC tournament has not been their best stage. However, it's a dangerous thing to tell champions what they can and can't do. So as we began our conversation with Tim Walton, he told us how the leaders of his team decided to answer their critics as directly as possible. I could just see it in our players' eyes that um, you know, they'd, I think they'd heard a little bit of, of criticism about the performance of our program at the SEC tournament. And, you know, it seemed like our, our senior leadership and, you know, some of our uh, returning players just kind of took it amongst themselves that they wanted uh, they wanted that trophy. And um, the preparation leading up to the tournament was really good. The focus right before the tournament, each day of the tournament was really good. So very happy for our players really more than anything for them to be able to celebrate uh, winning the SEC regular season. We controlled our own destiny and took care of business. And, um, and then also taking care of business uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday against, you know, tough opponents of the SEC tournament. It was, it was, it was very, very fulfilling. The idea of the players basically taking that upon themselves, I guess that's a product of culture. How much pride do you take in that? The fact that your players said, wait a minute, this is an external criticism. We want to answer that. And then they, they went and, and they, they did just that. You know, again, with our seniors, you know, I think this is probably one of the, the, the senior class that is a, not necessarily accomplished the most, but has been a part of so many different things. They have won four straight SEC championships, and I don't think that we've ever had another class that has done the same to win four. They have now won a conference tournament, uh, a national championship. They've lost at the national championship series. They've been walked off in a super regional. They've won two super regionals, and they've won three regionals. So they've they've really accomplished a lot. Um, they have a lot of experience, and you know, again, I think that that's something that I can't. You know, as much as I want to practice and as hard as I want to practice, I can't practice experience. And I think our senior class really took the, um, you know, the leadership that they needed to provide to all the younger people and make it a priority to go out there and play well. Getting back to the SEC for a second, when every team from a conference makes the NCAA tournament, there is some inevitable backlash. So for the people who say, oh, the SEC doesn't deserve to have every team in the league, what is your counter to that in terms of what you've seen the league do in the last couple of seasons? 
Well, when I heard what the last team in was, uh, you know, Missouri um, from the SEC, and I heard that, you know, on the television when they when they showed when they aired live, you know, what the the process was like, the last four in and the last four out, and this year, which is one of the first times that I can remember, Missouri actually had more games against top twenty-five than every team in the league, with the exception of two, one being the Florida Gators, but. They played a really, really, really good non-conference schedule. And um, I think I heard them loud and clear. The NCAA really viewed the strength of schedule as one of the biggest pieces for who's in, who's out. And um, 13 teams, I don't know how you can not say that we're justified. The lowest winning team in the league was Missouri with six wins. Same as Georgia last year at six wins. There have been times when the league only had one game, teams only won one game. And I think this is the most balanced SEC that we've ever, ever had from top to bottom. As a result of the league being so good, you know, rarely can you go a full season without some bumps in the road. Your biggest was that series at Georgia when you dropped two or three and, and gave up some crooked numbers in the process. What do you feel like the team learned from that weekend? And, and do you feel like it was a turning point of sorts? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, we had a lead going into the seventh inning of game one we gave up a home run to, to lose, you know, lose the game. And then the next day we did not perform very well at all. We followed that up with a really good performance on Sunday against Georgia and really haven't looked back since, to be honest with you. Most people would say, you know, you ask me 10 minutes after the game, Hey, you know, do you think this team can learn from this loss or is losing a good thing? And I'd always tell you, no, losing is a bad thing. <laughs> I hate to lose. I don't want to lose, but I think our team learned their lesson and whether that was preparation lesson, whether that was pitching lesson, whether that was performance lesson, our team learned their lesson and responded in such a positive way. But I won't lie to you. I, I have never, not one time since August, have I ever, ever questioned our players' passion to want to get better. Um, we may not be great in all areas, but you know our willingness to really work and perform at a high level is, is there from everybody on the team. So I, I, I can't tell you that I thought that it was great thing to lose because I really felt like all the time our team just, they bring it every day in practice. And that's something to be proud of as a, as a coach that our team really knows how to work. When someone who's brought it all year is, is Kelly Barnhill. She's put together another remarkable season. But one notable difference in it is the, the big increase in home runs allowed. I know you, you've talked about this a lot, and I'm sure you've thought about it a lot. Why do you think those numbers have gone up, and how do you manage her as a competitor when those things do happen? Uh, there's quite a few things that, you know, that factor into the, you know, the home runs. I think, number one, Kelly Barnhill's a junior. There's more video on Kelly Barnhill probably than anybody. The home runs have gone up in conference. The conference opponents have, have hit home runs off of her. And um, I think that, again, goes to the number of times that they've seen her now. And, you know, they've been able to adjust to the different style of pitches that she throws and has. And I think that's been a, you know, a, an advantage to the hitters. But the one thing she hasn't done is she hasn't walked as many people this year. And she hasn't um, you know, given up as many hits. So, so when she does give up a hit, you know, it has been of the home run variety. It still hasn't been, you know, a, a big home run, three-run homer, a two-run. You know, it's been a lot of solo home runs. And at times, there have been home runs when we've been up by, you know, more than three or four runs. And, and some people say, well, she lose her focus. And I, I don't think so. I think people have just been taking their hacks. And, um, and then the final component of that is, too, is that, you know, just like everything, Kelly's working on her game. 
um, you know, trying to improve on some things, uh, you know, from the, I don't want to say from the, you know, being called for illegal pitches and some other things. So some of those home runs have come after illegal pitches and then some have come just from in her attempt to obviously um, do things within the college game that, um, that she needs to do to reduce those numbers. So um, I, I, I would ultimately though, I would credit a lot more of the hitter. And then some of them have been just misses by Kelly, just, you know, bad pitches. The other player of the year candidate that you've got is Amanda Lorenz, who's just continued to perform at such a high level. And she's done that since day one. And I, I know for you, I'm sure it's gratifying because you identified her as your, I think, what was it? You said she was going to be your number three hitter when you saw her in eighth grade. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I figured she would be, I figured at the time she'll be a center fielder batting three for us for four straight years. Um, you know, we haven't played her that much in center, but she is definitely a, a prototypical three hole hitter. You know, again, she was the number one rated recruit out of high school. So um, I think that, you know, a lot of people saw the, the, the intangibles that she brings to the game of softball. She loves softball. Her passion is so high for softball and um, she hates getting out. Uh, you know, I think that's one thing that, you know, some people like to hit. She hates getting out and that, that fuels her to work. Um, and then one other thing that you're going to, you know, you'll like this. I look at, you know, Kaylee Cavista just broke the walk record at the University of Florida. Kaylee just had her 176 walk last week. And that's a huge number. And you go, man, that, that's incredible. Amanda Lorenz is going to break Kaylee Cavista's walk record. <laughs> if not this year, she'll break it next year. So just an incredible amount of patience that she's learned to hit with. When Amanda got here, I never thought we'd ever see her walk. Um, Rise ball, she'd swing over her head and hit it as a double. You know, change up, bouncing in the ground, she'd bend her back knee and hit it, you know, a single up the middle. Curve ball away, she crushes it, you know, to left field. You know, and something rises, something in, she hits to right field. So she's she's probably got the most complete swing I've ever coached. She's not super fast, but she's not slow. But she certainly has the ability to hit the ball to all fields. And she's a gym rat, man. She just really wants to work. She likes to, she hates getting out. She's never going to be satisfied with where she's at. She said something interesting after winning the SEC tournament, and I think it was I think it was Holly Rowe that asked her about spending a week there and if they're ready to get home. And she said that part of the reason she felt like they performed so well was because they were there as a team on the road for so long together. Even this late in the year, why do you think that was so beneficial for this group? Well, number one, all of the players, for the most part, were finished with school. So a lot of people talk about, you know, some numbers of different people, you know, their numbers are down and don't forget their, their student athletes. You know, I've got a couple of kids that have, you know, extraordinarily, you know, academic type majors, you know, Kaylee Kavista is one of them. It took a lot of work for her to, you know, to, to, to graduate with the highest, highest point of her class. She's got into graduate school and it takes a lot of work for those kids to, to really, you know, perform on that level. So we've got a lot of kids like that. So I think that most of them were finished with all their, their finals. So they were all done and they were, they, they could have a chance to hang out and go to Starbucks and, you know, get up in the morning and they just, they just did things together. There was no distraction. There was no family members there. There was no friends there. The only friends and family they had were their teammates. And, um, you know, I was glad that Amanda said that because you find a way at times kids can get tired of each other. And for her to say that, you know, really means that they, you know, they genuinely do like each other and uh, are rooting for each other. And Amanda's one of the, the key contributors to us on the field, but she's one of the key contributors to us off the field as well. She really controls our heartbeat and our pulse. 
And, um, you know, she's, she's the, she's the chemistry glue for our team because she's the life of the, she's always laughing and having a good time. Her and Sophia Reynoso, you know, really control our pulse and our heartbeat of our team. So I, I was really ha- happy that she felt like the team was able to get you know closer together because they spent some quality time together in Missouri. You've had a day or so to, to size up the regional field coming to Gainesville. What can you tell us about the teams that are going to be playing at KDC Shoal Presley Stadium this weekend? Well, the dynamic of teams is really different. You know, when you, you start with Bethune-Cookman, our first opponent, um, you know, they have 161 stolen bases. And, um, you know, I don't care who you play. Uh, I don't give you inner squad. I couldn't steal 161 bases in probably three years. So they're fast. They're athletic. They're young. They got a lot of, a lot of Southern California kids. We played them last year, and they were tough. So uh, start with Bethune-Cookman. Laura Watton is back at Bethune-Cookman, who took Bethune-Cookman to a NCAA Super Regional in 2005. So they're, they're good, and they're, they're not going to be intimidated by um, the environment. Then you go to South Florida, South Florida, usual suspect in Gainesville for a regional. Um, they've got a pitching staff of five or six pitchers. We faced them twice this year. And, um, and this is probably one of the best offenses that I've seen uh, them have in a while. Pretty balanced offense, do a lot of things. Then you go to Ohio State. Ohio State, we played them before, was gritty, uh, tough. You can tell their coach, I think she's a Michigan grad. Uh, she's tough, and she's tough on them. And in a good way, they really, really, really play at a, at a high, high level. And um, again, they got a pitching staff, but they've got a ton of home runs. They got one kid in particular with 20. So a little bit of a different kind of a regional. We got USF, who's a little speed power. You got the speed speed of Bethune-Cookman. They have one player that has 17 home runs. And then you take uh, Ohio State, who's a, a power team. Uh, it's going to be, a, it's going to be, it'll be tough. I don't, I don't ever think that a regional isn't going to be tough until you've actually played for a little while because you don't know what your players are going to respond to, to with, uh, you know, again, the loss in your season's over is a different way to perform. And I think hopefully the way we played in the SEC tournament will carry over. But again, regionals and SEC tournament are two different things. This past weekend, the Gators became the first program ever to win the SEC in softball, baseball, and both men's and women's track and field all in the same year. And that's in large part due to the coaches across campus. And I know that there's a, a real camaraderie among coaches and a lot of collaboration. I'm curious, what was the last specific piece of advice or maybe a tactic from another coach on campus that you took and found a way to implement with your own team? Well, I'll tell you this. This is, you know, I'm going to use my my athletic director hat, if I would, for a minute, not that I am one, but just that, you know, I'll pretend to be one. <laughs> you, you can't win championships without great players. It just, you, I don't care how good of a coach you are. You can't win championships without great players. You can't win championships without your players being healthy. You know, we have a great training staff and strength and conditioning staff on our campus and, and we all have different ones. So you can't just attribute one to, to the success of our program, but you know, Paul Chandler, is our strength and conditioning coach for softball and baseball. And he's done a fabulous job in both sports, keeping us healthy, getting us stronger, helping us win, and then pushing our kids on to the next level. Um, so I, I think it, those are the two things. But I, I will say this. I think we have the best collection of coaches in our sports, respectively, as good as anybody in the country. Um, you know, what we've done, in, and I won't just name out coaches, but what we've done in all sports is 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 remarkable, to be honest with you. Uh, the amount of success we've had 
is, is unbelievable. And, you know, again, I, I attribute the culture that our coaches have all worked together on. We all meet this beginning of the year. Every coach we had as head coach, um, with the exception of typically the typical football program, just because they have a lot of things going on and they, they actually do their own kind of collaboration amongst coaches because they have, they almost have as big a coaching staff as we have rest of coaching across the campus. But the one thing that I, I it wasn't necessarily an implementation. Um, I had Becky Burley come out and speak to our team about, you know, some culture things and some things early in the year, which was really, really cool just from a, just a personal development standpoint. But uh, Mike, Coach Mouse Holloway, um, you know, said something in our coaches collaboration that I'll never forget. And um, he talked about my track from my office across his track to my, my, my car parked in his, you know, in the parking lot to drive out to softball. And he said, you know, I watched Tim Walton build this program from, from the ground up. And, you know, I, I, I might have, have a bad day or I might think about something, you know, that I want to do. And he goes, but this guy just puts his head down and goes to work every single day. And he said, you know what, I'm going to do the same. I'll put my head down and go to work and not get caught up in, you know, distractions or people, what they do around me. And I took that as one of the best compliments I've ever had a coach or somebody that you respect or somebody as a peer. That was one of the best things I've heard. And, and you know, when it just reminded me again, don't look around, you know, the grass is always greener across the street and, you know, maybe you do this. Our coaches do not nitpick of what this guy has, what we need to have. And I think that's one thing that we've been able to do at Florida is if you need something to be successful, ask for it. And, um, and our administration, our coaches, our athletes are, are typically going to get it, you know, for us if it's, if it's going to help us win and help us get more W's. I know a lot of people have been asking for a new stadium for a long time, and, and now you're going to get that. We haven't talked to you since the reveal of those plans. I know that doesn't factor into this weekend or this postseason run you're about to begin, but can you just talk about what it means for the program and the impact you've seen it have on the recruiting trail as you've been talking to kids around the country? You know, I remember Beth Mullins asking me this question about in 2007 at Super Regionals at Texas A&M, and I answered the question wrong. She asked me what the impact of our football program has had on our softball program. And I said, you know, to be honest with you, not, not much. And um, that was, I was so far from the truth. You know, the more we're on TV and the more we're out winning games in football and basketball and track and softball and baseball, it helps. It really helps a lot. And so to be able to build this stadium and do it the right way, and I'm really excited about it. The, the recruiting from you know, the 2014 National Championship and 2015 National Championship we haven't even got those kids on campus yet from those years. I know that sounds crazy to wow. most, but you know, they're coming, they're coming. We've got some good, really, really talented kids coming. And um, I think that the building this stadium and what people are going to see once we get this stadium built, um, the quality, the detail that we've been able to put into it, the, the common sense approach to trying to make it as professional of an environment for our athletes and coaches but also the fans. I think we're really trying to hit on those pieces to, to give the fans a really a, a top-notch first-class program. It's not going to be huge. Um, it's going to keep hopefully keep the environment the same as we've always had it. And um, I think selling out our, our stadium is a good thing. You know, People having to get on the waiting list is a good thing. I, I told our, our people building the stadium, I don't want to lead the country in attendance. I want to lead the country in experience, and I want this experience to be one of the best experiences that you can come, whether you've come to 100 of them or whether you're coming to your first game at KDC Soul Presley Stadium. I want you to know that this is going to be a, a, a really, really good environment, something fun to watch. 
final couple of things for I know you're getting asked a ton of softball questions right now, so we want to try and keep things interesting for you. Uh, Non-softball related, what's the last book you read, movie you saw, show you watched that really that got you excited, that got you energized when you've had some free time? Uh, James Kerr, The Leg- Legacy. Um, that book, to me, um, was really, really, really good. Everybody needs to read that, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a coach, whether you're a player. It's a book about standards. It's about the All Blacks rugby team out of New Zealand. A phenomenal book. Uh, and I'm not somebody who really enjoys to read a ton, but I can tell you that that book right there was was really, really good. Uh, Lone Survivor was probably the most impactful movie um, and book that I that I last. But that was probably the most impactful in a in a positive way. It was that was that was something to be be seen. I really enjoyed that. Some important wrecks there from Tim Walton. And and now that we did that, we have to finish with the softball question. We'll bring it back home for you. Uh, Obviously, with winning the title and going on this run down the stretch the way that you have, you're seemingly playing your best ball right now. And you've got some obvious momentum. What are the keys to making sure that continues rolling so you can make a deep run in this tournament? I really think that, you know, probably to me, the most important, um, important aspect of building off the momentum and the successes that we've had from an offensive standpoint, I really like the energy that, you know, that our, that our offense has brought, you know, we had, we actually didn't hit the ball, you know, extremely well at the, at the SEC tournament or even at Missouri in the last weekend of the regular season, but just the timeliness, the, 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 the composure, the clutchness, you know, I think we've really tried to, we've really tried to harp on our team this year about, you know, toughness. We we've defined as a team toughness is, your ability to perform your best when it matters the most. And um, I've really seen that a lot this year. We've been down in the last inning and found a way to win. Um, you know, we've gone on the road to have to, you know, win to, to win the SEC. We were on the road to win the SEC tournament. So I'd, I'd like to see the, you know, the, the toughness uh, component still make a big difference in the way we, way we go. And then the final thing is to me is I always say this. I don't think that anybody could say not, you know, pitching. And we pitch when we pitch well, when we pitch really well, it just seems like we have an extra bat in the lineup at all times. And uh, it's, it's almost like we're, we're it's almost like we're on a power play in, in hockey. You know, when, mm-hmm. when our pitching's going well, it just seems like we're we're able to really keep that momentum and uh, really continue to, to build and have a lot of success. And the confidence seems to be really high. Well, coach, we appreciate your time, and your insights as always. And we wish you a lot of luck in the postseason. Well, I appreciate it, too. We can never have too much luck, that's for sure. So, (laughs) go Gators. While most athletic programs are slowing down this time of year, the Gators are still rolling along thanks to strong postseason runs from a number of squads. To try and sort through all of the success, we convened our weekly roundtable with Scott Carter and Chris Harry and began by discussing the road ahead for baseball now that the SEC title is secured and the focus turns to tournament time. Yeah, I think going into the postseason, uh, the biggest question mark you're probably looking at with this Gators baseball team is the the third starter. You know, with Tyler Dyson uh, kind of struggling, and Kevin O'Sullivan said the other day, you know, he's been having some discomfort in his uh, shoulder, got a cortisone shot, and uh, I think he's going to be resting for seven to ten days. And they really hope that he can come back and and play an important part like he did last year in the super regional and then out in the Omaha, uh, Jack Leftwich has moved into that role 
and uh, he's pitched well, but he's he's been susceptible to giving up some three-run homers. Uh, I think he's given up three of them in his last three starts, and that gets him in trouble early. And but the, everything there is there for this team, Adam. Uh, if you're going to nitpick it, that number three starter is what you're going to look at. But I think uh, if Dyson's healthy, and even if he's not in left, which is going, I mean, I think they still like their team, their chances in Omaha. I mean, the lineup has been good all year. The pitching has been good all year. Brady Singer and Jackson Coart, you know, went out against Georgia and helped them clinch the SEC regular season title. And it's the uh, second one in a row, and it is a little early. Remember last year that it came down to the uh, final weekend of the season. Uh, this year they got it wrapped up earlier, and uh, that's just been this team's uh, way all year. They've, they've had, the, as they like to say, bullseye uh, on them all year, but they've answered all the questions. And just from the the mood around the team right now, I mean, it's they're, they're kind of having fun. You can tell they haven't let the expectations get to them. And Kevin O'Sullivan, he was really complimentary to the way they've handled it. All these expectations uh, during the Georgia series after one of the games, he just said, you know, he couldn't be more pleased the way their professional approach has been kind of going out and done their thing and not really paid much attention to what people are saying outside. And uh, I think it's really if they can just stay par for the course, kind of what they've done all year, uh, this Florida team should be in pretty good shape to get back to Omaha. And in terms of teams that are looking to get to the World Series, softball is beginning that run this weekend. And it's off the heels, Chris, of I guess what you could say is a surprising run through the SEC tournament. That's never been a uh, tournament Florida's performed particularly well in. But you know, we talked to Tim Walton. He said that this senior class was tired of hearing about Florida's early exits in the SEC tournaments. So they went out. They won the thing. They got the double, which is rare for the program. It's rare for anybody. And now they've got their sights set on regionals with uh, Oklahoma City, hopefully the near future. Yeah, I can't imagine what you could have talked to Tim Walton about. I mean, let me, let's figure this out for a second. They've won 16 in their last 17. They've won their last seven in a row. Uh, they swept Missouri in the regular season series and stayed in Columbia for another week and then won the first SEC tournament title in five years and then uh, came home in time to catch the uh, NCAA uh, tournament selection show where they found out they're the number two overall seed. So a lot of good things going on with that softball team right now. And you know what? I, I, I was actually I watched that game. What struck me, Adam, about that win over uh, a nationally ranked team in South Carolina and obviously one of 13 SEC teams out of 13 that's going to the NCAA tournament. Florida wins the game and just kind of like, okay, they kind of high-five each other and they kind of move on to things. I think after they got through that first game, I think they kind of said, you know what, we're here. Let's go ahead and win it. I don't know that that's been the prevailing thought before. I'm not going to say it hasn't been. But uh, right now they're playing so much better than any other team in the league. And obviously the Southeastern Conference is the – is the best conference of softball, and they're going to take that momentum. They're they're home this weekend for the Gainesville Regional, where they'll have a uh, they'll face Bethune Cookman in the first game, and then after that they'll play whoever comes their way, be it uh, Ohio State or South Florida, and you know hopefully get out of that uh, regional and have a super regional at home next week, probably against either Texas A&M or Baylor. Uh, um, that's the region they're, they're matched up with on, on the other side. They're playing really, really well right now. You got your two pitchers. Uh, I think Tim Walton's going to have to figure some stuff out in terms of if he has to go to a third pitcher in the postseason, but he's been pretty good at that in the past and uh, we'll see which way, which way he goes, but he's got the SEC player of the year. He's got the SEC pitcher of the year and, 
for all I know, Kelly Barnhill may end up being the NCAA Player of the Year for the second year in a row, or the Honda Award winner for the second year in a row. How, however, that's going to be uh, awarded. But uh, uh, this is the time of year. The following of of these, these bat and ball sports, the Gator fans, how how they collectively get involved with these with these women when it, when this softball season comes around. Uh, look, check out our Twitter account, Adam. You'll see football in terms of sports at the University of Florida and our Florida Gators accounts. Uh, Football's number one overwhelmingly, but I tell you what, basketball's second. I believe it's at eighty-seven thousand and and change, but softball is right there, almost to eighty-seven thousand. So a lot of people pay attention to those women out there on the diamond. And uh, this is the time of year where you click on ESPN. There's a lot of softball. It goes by fast, and fans really love it. If uh, anyone's listening to this podcast and hasn't become engaged with the softball team, I encourage you to do that because it is a fun time of year. Yeah, it's no doubt a great time here to follow softball. It's somewhat harder to follow what goes on with track, but it doesn't make what they're doing any less impressive. Uh, This past weekend, track and field won the men's and the women's SEC titles, which you would probably think has been done before. It's the first time Florida's ever done that in the same year. And, you know, if you start adding all these things up, it's the first time that anyone has ever won baseball, softball, and both track and fields in the SEC in the same year. It's become a, a... banner spring for Gator sports and track and field is the the latest to add some titles there. Yeah. And all of this uh, came down um, over the course. And I, I did a post on it on floridagators.com on Monday. All that happened, I think in the span of 38 hours, the baseball team, I believe won their beat Georgia to win their sec title. Then Florida later that night, softball team won their, the, they'd already won the regular season sec. They won their postseason tournament and then the next day the track events went down to the four by fours in both men and women the women won they had they won i say they they had to finish ahead of lsu in the race and the finishing second in the four by four to clinch their first um women's team title since 2009 great achievement obviously there for mouse holloway who he just needs to take u-hauls to these track meets because he he's taking home hardware left and right uh, I don't know how I'm losing count of all his championships. Uh, uh, it's just it's it's an incredible thing. He's going to try to win another one, obviously, uh, in the men's outdoor NCAA title. He's got a great shot at that, obviously, in the in the coming weeks. But the men ended up winning uh, because Alabama didn't have a uh, four, backed out. I think scratched their uh, four by four team, which gave uh, Florida the clinch in the uh, in the SEC uh, men's outdoor title. So um, both of them came home with championships. Nothing new there, but we'll see what Florida can do in the NSA championships in Eugene, where the national championships are every year. So, again, uh, uh, they call this championship season around this place, and uh, there's a reason for that. And let's talk more about championship season because then subway tournaments are going on at various stages for a lot of sports. And over the course of the last week, lacrosse got over the hump. They got past that second round that had been their, their bugaboo for three straight years. So a huge achievement for that senior class to get to that next level. Now in the quarterfinals, one went away from the final four. Men's tennis has a really strong showing. They advanced to the Sweet 16. And men's golf, a record performance in regionals to get to the NCAA championships as well. So let's see if we can bounce around and, and try and give everyone their due. There's just there's a lot of success to be had right now for the Gator programs. We want to make sure that we give everybody their, their proper credit. Yeah, it was a big weekend uh, for the Gators. Uh, you know, you guys just talked about softball. I mentioned baseballer. You mentioned lacrosse and, and tennis. I was at the lacrosse uh, match on Mother's Day and 
you know, this is a program that uh, they've, they've stumbled the last three years uh, early in the tournament. They haven't been uh, able to get to the uh, quarterfinals round. And, well, they finally did it for the first time since 2014. But it was a little uh, – Mandy O'Leary said afterwards she was a little nerve, uh, nervous because they went down to Colorado 5 nothing early in the first six minutes of the, the match. And uh, then the Pareka sisters uh, came to the rescue for – they combined for uh, seven goals overall, but six of them were in the first half uh, to help them overcome that early deficit they took an eight five halftime lead and they never trailed again and uh you know you could just tell there was some relief uh afterward uh Shana Pareka said that basically not getting to past this point in her first three years it it kind of haunted her and uh, she definitely played a big role in the Gators finally advancing past that and now you know they're gonna have a tough uh game up at James Madison this weekend but if they can win that they'll go back to the final four for the first time uh, since 2012, and uh, you got to remember that was only the third year of the program, and a lot of people thought, "Wow, that's just going to be a regular thing." It hasn't been, but they've been very consistent over the years. But again, they just haven't been able to get past this point. They did, and then you're talking about another program that has kind of had some issues going out of the term early. Men's tennis, the, a big opening weekend in the NCAA tournament for them, uh, won a pair of home matches, swept past. Miami 4-0 to move on, and now they've got a chance to make the uh, the final eight if they can get by Ole Miss. Yeah, Ole Miss is a team Florida beat 6-1 to one in the regular season, Adam, uh, and uh, they upset Stanford to get to this current position uh, where they'll meet for the right to, to – the winner will go to the Elite Eight. Florida have been in the Elite Eight for a few years. That'd be quite an achievement, but that win over Ole Miss earlier in the year came with Ole Miss's best player injured and out of the lineup, so he's back in. That'll push some guys down and make things maybe a, maybe a little different. But we'll follow them, certainly, as they try, they try to advance. It was unfortunate the women weren't able to – to get out of their uh, regional here, they had they had a, some calamity in terms of a player that had to withdraw uh, due to injuries and cramping, and it came down to the last match. But the men will carry the banner for the uh, for the tennis program into the NCAA championships um, this weekend at Winston Salem, North Carolina. And let's not forget that the most recent success uh, came to the Gator golf team, a record-breaking performance, in fact. Yeah, uh, what I always like to do when I, when there's great achievement, I like to put in context this. A year ago, Adam, Gators were the fifth-ranked team in the country. They went to their regional in men's golf. Thinking about winning a national championship, they didn't even get out of their region. They just day three, the round three was just an utter disaster, just train wrecks all over the golf course. Yeah, I'm not saying anything that probably J.C. Deacon, the coach, wouldn't say, but uh, the leftovers from that team, you're talking about Alejandro Tosti and some of those other guys, Gordon Neal, they wanted to do a tone for that. And they went to regionals this week and just exploded on the competition there. They end up winning by 12 strokes, collective score out of a 42 under par. That broke their all-time record as a region at a regional by five strokes. They beat UC, runner-up UCF by 12 strokes. The next place team was Vanderbilt. They're 20 strokes back. And as if you need any more, you get Andy Zhang, who just happened to go down there. Remember, remember. Andy Zhang hadn't won a tournament in two years here. Already announced he was turning pro after this season as a sophomore, uh, one of the top 25 amateurs in the world. He won the SEC individual uh, medalist honor a couple weeks ago, and then he turns around 
And damn, if he doesn't win this regional, he goes 68, 68, and 67, wins by one stroke. So he has two tournament titles now. A couple weeks ago, he had none. And he's going to bounce off into the NCAA championships along with his teammates. But obviously, he has an eye on turning pro after he does some stuff here with his fellow Gators. But uh, he's going to have some momentum on his side in his last tournament as an amateur and certainly going forward uh, when he turns professional after these uh, national championships. So what an achievement by uh, J.C. Deacon. Now let's see if they can take it next level when they go to the NCAA championships next week. Those will be, by the way, in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Let's switch gears now and talk about a sport that is out of season but still in the news, Gator basketball. Uh, Obviously a a unique set of circumstances there with the hiring of a new assistant coach, Armand Gates, who then turned around and pretty quickly left. So we knew that slot would be filled pretty rapidly, Chris. And in the last week, uh, as you foretold, uh, that did in fact occur. Tell us about Mike White's new assistant. Yeah, the coaching uh, vacancy didn't didn't last very long. It was certainly a unique turn of events that opened that up. that hole in the coach's office again, but Mike White has hired uh, Al Pinkins uh, as his uh, associate head coach. He comes by way of Texas Tech, which just so happens to be the last team that the Florida Gators played. Here comes Al Pinkins. He not only has uh, experience uh, coaching in the NCAA tournament, take, helping Texas Tech get to the Sweet 16, um, but he's also got significant experience, not just in the South, but in the Southeastern Conference. He started as an assistant coach in Middle Tennessee State, then was at Ole Miss for a few years from 2011 to 2014. Uh, so he was he was coaching those those Marshall Henderson teams, including the team that beat Florida in the SEC uh, SEC tournament in 2013. Then he went to Tennessee for one season, and then he was at LSU in time to coach Ben Simmons a little bit. Then he went to Texas Tech for the last uh, two seasons. So uh, uh, they have a guy who specializes in coaching big fellas. I actually got a chance to meet him briefly uh, just uh, early on in the week. He came back. He's going to be here for the next few weeks as he tries to make uh, the transition from Lubbock. It's obviously not easy to make a transition from Lubbock. There's only one Lubbock, I think. Uh, It took him, uh, I think, 12,000 plane uh, rides to get here. Uh, (laughs) No, but uh, what he's going to do is one of the things he told me he was going to do. He was going to get in his office close the door and go over tape and watch every shot that the big men took this year. And that's, that's going to be his baseline because uh, he's going to specialize in working with the guys up front, which means Kavarius Hayes, which means uh, Keith Stone, which means Chase Johnson and Isaiah Stokes and eventually Gorjak Ak after he gets back from uh, his knee injury and what have you. But uh, those will be his duties. He's already been on the recruiting trail. Uh, people who follow on Twitter may see that there's been a couple of uh, offers pop up from players in Texas. Maybe not a coincidence. I'll let people maybe do the math on that. But he'll get he'll get busy right away. He's very engaging. And uh, just talking to some of the sports staff, the support staff people over in the office who had some time to spend with him last week. Uh, they think this is going to be a really good fit for that coaching staff. So uh, everything, all the offseason news uh, should be done here. Now we'll just wait to see uh, what Jalen Hudson's decision is over the next few weeks. When people listen to this podcast, they hear my voice, they hear your voices, they hear a lot of voices. Uh, Sometimes they hear the most famous voice associated with the University of Florida. That is, of course, Mick Hubert. And the voice of the Gators got a huge honor this week when it was announced that he was going to enter the Florida Sports Hall of Fame. So can we just talk about what a huge accomplishment this is for Mick and some of the company that, that he's joining in that Hall of Fame class? 
Yeah, you know, Tim Tebow went into the Florida Sports Hall of Fame last year. This year, Mick Hubert's going in, so that's pretty good company. Obviously, a lot of Gators have entered the uh, Hall of Fame over the years. Jeremy Foley a few years ago, Steve Spurrier. But Mick Hubert, you know, he's he's identified with the Florida Gators now since 1989. Uh, he's going to be entering his 30th year as the voice of the Gators. And you think about some of those great moments uh, – the golden era of Florida athletics. He's been here for all of them, the 1996 championship, the uh, 2006 and eight championships, the back-to-back basketball championships, last year's baseball championship in Omaha. Uh, and, you know, that's the great thing uh, about play-by-play voices. The, the guys who stay with one team or one program for a lot of years, uh, they become uh, synonymous uh, with the Gators. That's what Mick has done, and uh, he's being recognized for that. And, uh, you know, it's such, certainly a great honor. I saw where he said that he was almost floored when he got the call from the Florida Sports Hall of Fame, did not expect it, and that uh, he'll be officially inducted uh, later this year. So, yeah, huge congratulations to Mick. No question that is well earned. Uh, as we turn our attention to this week's PAT, uh, it's a huge story in sports. I don't know what the impact is going to be. I don't think anyone does, which is what makes it a compelling topic to discuss. But this week it was announced that the Supreme Court decided that the federal ban on sports gambling was unconstitutional, which means states now have the right to introduce legalized sports gambling if they so choose. This was spurned by New Jersey, who wants to be first in line to join Nevada. Uh, And now I think a lot of people are wondering what this means for sports. Uh, There's a lot that think this is a clear and present danger, that this is going to open up potentially to more fixing, more questions about the legitimacy of games. Uh, There's more conflicts of interest to be disclosed. There's a lot to unpack here. I'm curious what you guys think about this. Is this as big of a deal in terms of changing the landscape of sports as we know it, as some people would have you believe? Adam, there's a lot to unpack. You're exactly right. And uh, let's just start. What does it mean, at least what's being talked about in positive ways? Well, you know, regulated bookies, uh, increase in tax revenue. uh, You can go into your sports bar (laughs) and basically go in the corner, perhaps, and, and bet on a game while you're hanging out with your buddies. I mean, it just brings a lot of what we all know goes on into the forefront, uh, more into the mainstream. Uh, you know, that's that's good and bad, I guess. Depends on your point of view, kind of like the legalization of marijuana. There's a lot of similarities in what I've read just on, you know, what does this mean when the vi- you, people's vices are, are hitting the mainstream more and more these days. And in terms of athletics, what's being discussed on that side, you know, obviously the integrity of the games are at the forefront because does this mean now that it's legalized? I mean, uh, there's going to be so much more attention on it. You can go in, you can stop maybe one day at the convenience store before the team trainer goes in or before the point guard goes in and make a bet on the game. I mean, if it gets to that point, then that's what the greatest fear is, I think, for most people in athletics. You don't want to ever see the integrity of the games. Uh, impacted by, you know, people making the bad decisions. Like, you know, in recent years, it's been a while really since we've had a controversy, but I remember the NBA referee a few years ago. That's the one that sticks out. But yeah, there's there's a lot we don't know yet. Uh, I think there's some good and bad to it. I just know that this was the most interesting thing I've read because I'm not uh, really a sports gambler, so I'm not in tune with some of that world, but 
I know that a lot of people I know, they love to bet on games. And I'm always thinking to myself, well, it's not like they're good at Vegas every week because that's where it's legal. Well, guess what? There's more money bet on the Super Bowl and the Final Four illegally than there is the whole year bet at legal sports books in Las Vegas. Wow. So what that means is it just means it's going to create a lot of avenues. Uh, it gets this, this huge underground system that everyone knows exists now. It's going to bring it up on a, a mainstream level. And then we'll have to see how it plays out once it gets there. A lot of these people make uh, a lot of money and people don't know about it, uh, you know, taking taking books. And this is a, this is something that the people we're we're talking to you from the uh, University Athletic Association, third floor office. There's people on the second floor. They're going to they're going to have some meetings about this. I don't know where it's going to go because I like I'm with Scott a little bit. I'm, I'm not very much in tune with where this stands right now, but. It's so it seems to me like such a such a radical kind of thing right now. The only time of kind of gambling I've ever done really is, you know, I used to cover horse racing quite a bit at Tampa Bay Downs. I've been to a couple of the triple crown races and just for fun, I'd, you know, play a ticket on the big race mm-hmm. of the day. Mm-hmm. But as far as the guy who looks in the sports page every morning or online and looking at lines and all that stuff, that's just never been me. I don't know if I'm an outlier. I think there's a lot of people like me, but I'm also realizing there's a lot of other people who are very interested in that that's their sports interest more than anything else is yeah. the gambling aspect more so than who wins and loses yeah more so than who wins or loses more than just you know colleges you know having uh, a, a, something bigger than yourself to identify with i mean a lot of people really are just in it for the gambling aspect of it and and that's something that uh it's it's hard for me to identify with, but I know it's reality. I just know the first time I went to Vegas and was in Caesar's Palace, and I watched like Michael Jordan was dribbling out a end of a game that he was winning by say nine points or something like that, and then you know dotted around this crowded casino, people were screaming at the at the TV. Yeah. They just wanted him to try to score a basket. Does that mean that a scene like that is going to start playing out at the social at Midtown? I mean, <laughs> it's very possible. I, I, you know, I, and of course you got to remember, you know, while this does strike down the the act from 1992, where states now get to make their own laws. I mean, I don't assume that all 50 states are going to legalize gambling sure. next, but you know, in 10 years, five years, uh, could this be one of those things that we look back on and just it's almost seems like it was always here, kind of like wireless internet access now wherever you are it could be it's it's certainly a, a brave new world it, it's a great week for brent musburger i don't think there's any question about that and uh, listen it's been it's been introduced in the mainstream in smaller ways i mean if, if anyone watches the the midnight sports center with scott van pelt he does the bad beats segment which is kind of a comedic take on when uh when a, a line goes the other way unexpectedly and people lose a lot of money on it but it, it's been out there for a long time slowly creeping in and now it's it's about to, as you said it's about to be exposed very much into the uh into the limelight so yeah we'll and see. how about like uh, Monday Night Football with Al Michaels all those years, somebody would score a touchdown late in the game that really didn't mean anything. He goes, well, I'm, he goes, not many people are probably paying attention to that score, but there are some people who are a little overjoyed that somebody just scored that. <laughs> yeah. It's been there. It's been there. It's just about That's to right. get a, a whole lot bigger. Um, speaking of things that are getting bigger, Gator Sports do not stop. Lots of championships to follow this weekend, and these guys will have you covered as with everything on FloridaGators.com. Follow at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris. Softball, NCAA tournament at home. Baseball wrapping up 
their regular season on the road, lacrosse quarterfinals, men's tennis, NCAA championships, a lot to keep track of. So make sure to follow these guys, and uh, we will no doubt have a lot to talk about next week. Thank you guys so much. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Have a good week. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Make sure to support softball at home this weekend in NCAA regional action and follow the rest of the Gator squads on the road by staying connected on social media and by checking out FloridaGators.com. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the ballpark.